time or not. But there really are some striking comparisons between the, the story in Acts 10 and the story of Jonah. Have you noticed any of those? The st- comparisons are so striking that I think there may be some design behind that. You might have to think about that just a little bit. But, what are some things that you can see as parallels between the Cornelius story and the Jonah story? You've never thought about that, have you? He was asked to go preach and teach to a race that wasn't like Jonah. Okay. They are both called to take the gospel, both Jonah and Peter, to a Gentile city. And they didn't want to go. They neither one wanted to go initially, but they chose to after... After what? A whale. Yeah. After three days or three repetitions of the vision. What else? The Gentiles repented and therefore lived. 11.18 talks about the re- God's granted the Gentiles repentance unto life. What else? Joppa. Absolutely. The city of Joppa, where Peter's called from, and evidently near where Jonah was, because he at least uh, passes through there on his way to Tarshish. That's an in- intriguing comparison. What else? Yeah, which is where Joppa was. What else? Yes. Uh, what was Simon's full name? Simon, son of Jonah, of all things. And when Jonah, Peter, go and lead Gentiles to the repentance to life, that provokes a hostile reaction from Jews. Jonah in one case, the Jews that called Peter to account in chapter 11. So it didn't go over well, you know, what they did. That's a strong enough set of comparisons, I think, to to be hard to overlook, even though I'm not sure what to do with that. But, you know, by the time you get Simon being the son of Jonah and uh, Joppa and some things like that, it strikes me that, that that's not just a coincidence. It may be. But if so, it's quite a striking coincidence. So. Peter was probably staying away from the water. If <laughs> 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 he knew. <laughs> Boy, this sounds really similar. I'm staying, <laughs> staying clear of the water. Yeah, yeah. He probably didn't go to Caesarea by boat, did he? <laughs> now, this is an extremely important story, the conversion of Cornelius. It's repeated three times. Uh, in chapter 10, chapter 11, and then a summary in chapter 15, because it's uh, one of these, uh, you know, epical uh, changes. You know, it, it just a whole change of, of era here. 
because we're opening the door to the Gentiles. Now remember that Jesus gave Peter the keys of the kingdom, and here he's going to open the other side of the door for the Gentiles to come in as well. So, chapter 10, verses 1 to 8. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Italian Regiment, a devout man, and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Java, and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you uh, what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Java. Okay. So you have... Cornelius. What do you know about him? He's a Roman soldier. And um, what kind of character did he have? He feared God. He was a devout man, a God-fearing man. He gave a lot of alms to the Jews. He prayed continually. And he saw a vision of an angel. And you know what we're going to find out about this guy? After all that, he still needed to be saved. I mean, wow. In most churches, a devout worshiper, an almsgiver, a man of prayer who'd seen an angel, would surely be seen as saved already. It's amazing to think that, you know, a man like this isn't saved. There's a lot of people today that you could not say nearly as much in favor of that assume they are saved. You know, or at least that their prospects for salvation are pretty good. So that's an interesting feature of this. That salvation is just not based upon not even being a really good person. Because Cornelius certainly was that. Um, but he's about uh, probably mid-afternoon when he saw this vi- in a vision an angel of God who told him that God has heard his prayers and that he needs to do what? Go get Simon, who's staying with Simon, and have him come. And so he gets, verse 7, two of his servants and a devout soldier, evidently three trusted men, tells him everything and sends them to Joppa. Now, one of the things that's happening, we're going to see in the next section, is this is a lot like what happened with Saul and Ananias. God was communicating with both of them in the same time frame, basically, to get them together. We'll see in the next section, not only is God communicating in a special way with Cornelius, but he's going to do that with Simon as well to get them together. Um, And the whole initiative, the whole impetus of this beginning to end is the Lord. The angel appears to Cornelius. God puts Peter in a trance and shows him the sheep vision. And so forth and so on. This is not 
Cornelius and Peter who decide we're going to change the program up here and we're going to start saving Gentiles. This is the Lord that's directing this. Notice also, this is the third chapter in a row where there's been some supernatural intervention. You had the Lord telling Philip, go to that road. (laughs) You had the Lord talking, as we said, to Saul and to Ananias. And now the Lord will communicate with Cornelius and Peter. But in none of those supernatural interventions does the Lord tell somebody how to be saved directly. He just gets the preacher and the preachy together so that the gospel, gospel can be taught from one man to another. That is consistent. You will never see an angel going and preaching. You don't ever see God preaching to somebody in a dream or a vision. He uses some supernatural interventions, but always just to get the two men together so that one man could tell another one the gospel plan. Comments and questions? I have two questions. Um, one, okay, so is he, is Cornelius uh, a Jew then? He's a Gentile. He's a Roman. Okay, that makes more sense. Okay, that was confusing me because I thought he was... He gives alms to the Jews, which is amazing, because as a Gentile, you would not expect him to even like the Jews, but right. he actually okay. is benevolent to these this subject people yeah. that he's a soldier, uh, actually an army captain over. Okay, so was he... Because did he worship our God? He was a God-fearing, God-worshipping person, yes. You had a category of those. They were often called God-fearers. They did not convert to Judaism, i.e. they were not circumcised. But they came to believe in God and to, to treat Him as God, even though they never were converted and became proselytes of Judaism. So are they kind of like today what we would, like, what we refer to as the denominationalists? Well, I think they're just people who are, have, they'd be like people today who come to church, but they're not converted. Okay. Um, and then, I don't know what alms is either. Alms is, is gifts. You know, gifts. gifts to the needy among the Jews. Okay. Uh, are there questions or comments through verse 8? Good questions. Is there any reason to believe that God doesn't intervene in the affairs of men today to bring people together so that the gospel can be taught? Now, I didn't use the word, uh, you know, miraculous or anything like that, or, you know, involving visible uh, appearances of angels, but if God was bringing people together to the gospel then, is it reasonable to believe that he's doing that today? I think so. Certainly. I think that he loves I think he loves us opportunities, you know, when we pray to be able to, you know, preach to others and teach with other or teach others, you know, I, mean, I think he sets up opportunities for us to that's what I'd say. Yeah, I, and I think he directs things behind the scenes. I mean I think there are some times when he he may I don't know that he sends an angel to give a direct communication. I doubt that today. But I think he sets things up to where, you know, remarkably two people cross paths the need to. I mean, there's all kinds of stories. But like, uh, you, you guys know Mike Mahler. He was searching for the truth. Searching for the truth. He'd been various places. He read in the Bible, for example, 
First Peter 3.21. He didn't know, he had no real religious background, Catholic, I think, nominally. He studied with the Jehovah's Witnesses, he'd gone to the Presbyterians, he'd gone to the Baptists, but he'd studied the Bible himself. He was trying to find somebody who baptized him to be saved. Had no contact with anybody who was a true New Testament Christian. And, you know, but was just studying on his own. He lost his job. There's this factory that nobody gets into if you don't know somebody. He was hired there. Didn't know anybody. Nobody understood why he was ever hired there. <laughs> Within his first week or so on the job, in Sioux City, Iowa, there's a church of like 10 or 15 people. And, and the, the leading man in the church who worked in that factory was very evangelistic wow. and started talking to him. And, well, he found out they were right, at least, about a lot of things. He really assumed, even after they baptized him, that he'd find out, like he had the others, that they were wrong about some things. So he was still kind of, you know, skeptical. But, you know, continued to see that, well, they were doing everything just like he'd read the Bible. Huh? Now, I mean... Uh, you could explain that any way you want to, but I say that's the hand of the Lord. You know, I don't, that angel didn't tell, you know, the, the people at the factory to hire Mike or anything like that, but the Lord was able to work those things out. He doesn't have to have, you know, some angel come down and tell you something. You know, I don't know what circumstances the Lord worked in, but, but I would say that's the Lord. I don't think we ought to have any hesitance in saying yeah. that. Where's this guy worshiping them? He Mike? preaches at Orleans. You know Britain? Oh, he's, yeah. Written dead. Seriously? Yeah. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. Uh, just like dropping off cards to see if they wanted to come back or start a Bible study. Uh, so they dropped off a card at this one house. They, um, well, they got the wrong apartment. There was somebody who had never gone there. So <laughs> that guy called him, and he wanted to study, and he was baptized. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah I, I, I've heard other stories along that line. <laughs> you know, the uh, wrong house could lead to a great uh, opportunity. So, yeah. <laughs> It's, it's uh, so encouraging to see how the Lord does things like that. See his hand in the Yes, sir. You know, just talking about these things, it gets me thinking about why why does the Lord why does the Lord do it himself? Why does the Lord try to teach himself? He can do a better job than we can. But I think a lot of the reason, I'm sure this is the whole reason, but I think a lot of the reason is he's given us every reason to talk about him and preach about him. He's given us every reason to do that. He's loved us. He has shown us things and changed us in ways we can't understand, except if we credit him. Um, and we need to talk about him. We well, absolutely. Isn't this like uh, a mother needing her little girl to help her cook? You know? And she uses the little girl because, you know... Wow, she needs help making the cookies and all that. Isn't that what the Lord's doing with us? Uh, the Lord could surely do it himself. I mean, that wouldn't be difficult. But the Lord wants to use us in his work. And he's actually made it to where we play a really significant role by his grace. It's not like he needs us, but he's arranged to need us 
you know, yes. And, and a lot of people look at that as a, as a task or a job, or as, as almost a, oh, i got to go free. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's an honor to be able to talk about the world. It's an honor that he gave us, without doing that himself, he gave us the privilege to convert others and be a part of his plan. I mean, it, it's, it's really the privilege, and that's hard for me a lot of times to, to not think of studying, and not think of praying, and not think of preaching as... I have to do, but it's just, as a privilege, it's like, and I'm blessed, and, and, and I should, I don't deserve to be able to be a part of it. He entrusts us with a very great role. Normally, we would really like that. You know, what if you're a ball player? You know, you're a basketball player, and the game's tied. It's the last, you know, few seconds of the game. What do you think if the coach says, you're the one I want to take the shot? Isn't that an honor? Isn't that a great, great opportunity? Most ball players would love to be in that position. It's a lot of responsibility, but it shows that the, the coach respects them, thinks they can do it. God has shown us tremendous respect and has really blessed us by giving us such an important responsibility. Uh, he put a wonderful treasure in earthen vessels. And that, I think, originally refers to the apostles in 2 Corinthians 4-7. But in a sense, we are like them with the treasure of the gospel inside of us that we're taking to others. It's an amazing, amazing blessing. Well, I think sometimes the difference might be in cases like that, though, is when that person makes that shot, you know, that it, it's more, in a sense, glorifying them other than, but we got to be selfless and glorify the Lord when we're teaching, you know what I mean? So we got to understand, you know, I guess... I find it interesting that Cornelius reveals all of this to his servants. I mean, yes. it seems a little risky to be telling people, I saw an angel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> but he doesn't let that get in his way of, of you know, revealing it all. Well, not only that, we're going to find out a little later, he's called together all his relatives and friends, waiting on the supposition that Simon's really going to come. And he's going to have something to say that they're going to want to listen to. Uh, he really shows a lot of trust yeah, in the Lord. This. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. this vision that this guy... We're assuming that the uh, soldier and the servants didn't text ahead to say they were on their way. <laughs> This is what you call an opportunity to fall into your lap. Peter comes here and has all these people. Yeah, that's right. It, it, it looks like from verse 2 that it wasn't just him, but his his whole household who had some, some fear of God. So the people who were around him were already influenced by what he was. Yes. And maybe yes. that's how he chose them to be around him, but one way or the other. They, had, they were more than, well, it seems like they were more than just servants and soldiers to him. And isn't that exactly what happened at Manaus? When, who was it, Dennis or um, Jean Pachista going up there and to talk to somebody and he had just gotten all of his friends together for this study? Uh, yes, more or less. That's what, when Fondurlay that we met had, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure exactly how it happened, but when Dennis was in his home, they had more than 40 people there. I'm not exactly sure what the event was. I think it was some other event, and he talked 40-plus into staying and listening to Dennis for that. 
pretty amazing. Got 40 people in somebody's house to not Christians. Alright, uh, so verse 9 to 16. And on the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up to the house. Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry, and he was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he beheld the sky opened up, and a certain object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And again a voice came to him a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. And this happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Oh, wow. So here we have the conversion of Peter, <laughs> needed before the conversion of Cornelius. Uh, he's up on the housetop, it's about noon, he's hungry, and he's praying. Do you notice that both Peter and Cornelius saw their visions while they were praying? And uh, God uses this opportunity by bringing a sheet down from heaven with all different kinds of animals in it. And what does he tell Peter? Yeah, same thing Peter told uh, Aeneas and Tabitha. Get up, kill and eat. And, uh, you know, even in a trance, Peter's himself. What does he say? No way. By no means, Lord. You know, Peter is the kind of guy who, uh, when he refuses something, he refuses it vehemently. I won't. Thinks it's a test. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. That's just Peter. You know, whatever he says, he says strongly. You know, he says, I've never eaten anything unholy and unclean. You know, he's indignant at the very idea. And, uh, well, how often does this, uh, well, God says what what I've cleansed, uh, what God's cleansed no longer consider unholy. You know, God has cleansed these things. That's the point. And how, how many times is this uh, vision sequence repeated? Three times, and Peter's no stranger to triple repetitions, is he? Mind you, the denial and the reinstatement in John 21, where Jesus kept saying, feed my sheep. So, that's, that's intriguing. Uh, but can you imagine, you've always known that you could not eat unclean meat that was wrong that was sinful you can't eat unclean meat and you're in this trance practically hypnotized well I mean what would it be like for a person like Peter to eat unclean meat I think it would be repulsive absolutely man everything in his body cries out against that you don't do that. This is wrong. You know, can you imagine what, for many of us, it would be like to uh, you know, drink a beer? You know, it would just be like, oh, just, wow. And, uh, you know, obviously, we shouldn't be drinking the beer, but, but God's showing Peter 
times have changed and the laws in the Old Testament no longer apply. God no longer considers these meats to be unclean. And really, Peter is going to finally figure this out. But really, for the purpose of the meat so much that God did this, he's not supposed to consider any body unclean. But can you think of some times in the Bible where God asked people to do things that were extremely offensive to them? Ezekiel. He was he was told to roast his food over a human dung. Yes. And he did. He got a, a reprieve. Yes. Never <laughs> Ezekiel. <laughs> that was his reaction too. <laughs> he said, "Please." And God said, "Okay, you can use cow." Cow dung. And from what I've read, they cooked it directly on the coals. Yeah. Uh What about when God wanted Abraham to kill his son? Yes! Both of, I have I have four uh, listed. Those are two of them. I have to wonder if Hosea didn't have a similar reaction whenever he was going to marry the harlot. Yeah, absolutely, that's the third one. Man, anybody get the fourth one I've got? I bet you won't do this one. I don't know. What's that another Ezekiel one with his I'm wife, thinking, is it? No. I'm thinking Jonah, but I don't know if that... No. Isaiah. What a horrifying thing that God asked Isaiah to do for three years. Oh, run around naked. Yeah. Run around well, barefoot and naked. Well, we don't know what naked means, but yes. Yeah, well, that's what it says. No, I expect no, it doesn't no mean... No clothes or... I expect it doesn't mean stark raving naked, but, you know... In his underwear. Going, going around in your underwear would be rather... Uh, no, no, no. You know, shoot. Can you imagine that? Wow. I mean, you know, God asking people to do things that were just horrifying. Now, you know, that doesn't give us the right to do something horrifying just because God asked other people to. He had a reason in each of those cases. But, but that's, I mean, I think this is Peter's reaction here. I think this is just like so offensive to him. And, uh, you know, and then the vision, the object's taken back up in the sky, and it says in verse 17, now while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he'd seen might be, I can imagine that was really uh, confusing him greatly. What is going on here? You know, what does all this mean? All right, comments or questions through verse 16. Is there any significance to him being hungry and waiting for the food and then God telling him to kill him? Well, I think so. I think he's kind of taking advantage of his hunger, and this is an appropriate uh, vision for his situation. Definitely a good point. Because even, even though Peter was, in a sense, desperate for food, he wasn't going to eat that food. Absolutely not. Yeah. Okay, so I'm just trying to picture this. Like, okay. <laughs> like, good. it's hard. Okay, so in verse 12, or like, well, the way it says that it came down like a sheet, like the four corners. I mean, okay, well, are there animals? On I'm the assuming sheet. so. And then all the trees down, like yeah. And then they can't like leave this. Area. I'm assuming was, not. Evidently, it was like some kind of probably glued onto the sheet. Electric thing or something. Okay. And then like okay. And then he just wants them to kill him. And then I don't yeah. know why I did a gun thing, but you know. And then um. And this did they go up and down three times? I think I, so. The whole. Yeah. Probably the whole vision over. So weird. What's with the three in here? I don't understand. He's, he likes the triples. That's weird. Okay, I'm just, I'm just, that's how I've always pictured it when I read this, and I just didn't know if that was correct or not. Good so. that you're picturing it. Yeah. Uh, I just. That's that's a weird vision. You ever see anything like that in your vision? That'd be, uh, a, that'd be a strong sheet. 
makes That'd be a very strong <laughs> But in a vision, it could be anything. Yeah. yeah, and I get this sense. As Peter kind of wipes the vision out of his mind. No way, I'm not eating that. And then here it comes again. Yes. Uh, no, and you know, get out of here. And, and then here it comes again. Yeah, exactly. You I, can't get rid of it. Yeah, I have to wonder if he didn't view it almost as a temptation. I mean, yeah, it is great. Probably so. Deja vu here. Hold on. You know, I like where he didn't just view this as a temptation. That's as something that we were trying to think yeah. yeah, you know when you're when you're in that you know hypnotic state, whatever. I mean, you, you really you just sort of react based upon your conscience. You know, I mean, it's only after he wakes up that he starts mulling it over in his mind, trying to understand it, figure out what all this means. But in in the trance, he's just reacting. You know, from his you know his background and his you know, feelings. Woke up, he thought it was something he'd eaten, but he realized that I hadn't. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I've been running the animal too long in this camera. Yeah, I was going to say, it's kind of interesting that this was a problem for Peter to, to eat these unclean animals, yet he had been living yes. with someone who had been dealing with dead animals, dead animals that make you unclean. Yes. Um, the, but he hadn't gone this far yet. And, you know, he was... So that was going on, and that apparently didn't bother him much anymore. And so now he's got this second thing happening. And he may have warned the animals, but he never ate them. Yeah. I know a family... Uh, which I just reminded me, I guess just to relate it to something that happened nowadays, that I know a family that um, the kids range about... Uh, 20 to 30, and uh, a lot of kids, and they, they were always there, but they were homeschooled, and then they were also, the dad was their, um, was the preacher too, you know, they the church in their home and stuff, and and, uh, and their dad always taught them they weren't allowed to wear shorts at all, because when you sit down and stuff, and you can see it, you know, and stuff, so, but they weren't allowed to wear shorts at all, and they were taught that it was like, simple to wear shorts, and so now they got out of that, and so they don't think it's simple anymore to wear shorts, but they can't get themselves to do it because they were just brought up so long thinking that it's just sure. it's hard for them to do it, so they don't ever wear shorts but they don't think it's wrong at all I mean they just you know now they think differently it's just they can't get themselves to do it just like I don't know it just made me think of that but sure yeah, I would think that's what they're spending a day during this working with uh, mm-hmm. alright 17 to the first half of 23 <laughs> Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house, and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking me. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. The men went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius, and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from him. Then he invited them in and lodged with them. Okay. So Peter's puzzling over the meaning of this vision and God's timing was perfect. Because just as he's doing that, the three men from Cornelius arrive and want to know if Simon Peter is there. And Peter is told by the Spirit, 
go with these three guys. Peter goes down and says, hey, I'm the guy you're looking for. Uh, why are you here? And they tell him the story about Cornelius being directed by an angel to, to fetch him. And so they spend the night with Peter, and the next day Peter will go with them. So things are starting to fit together a little bit now that Peter hears the story of what's happened with Cornelius. Comments and questions? I always found that the idea for a first century Jew, Jewish Christian to go to the front door and there's a, there's a Roman soldier standing there for you. It's <laughs> yeah. got to be a bit scary given the power that the Roman soldiers had over the people. Good point. And so this, you know, get up and go with them. <laughs> and I, without misgivings, don't worry about that, just go. And that always seemed to me to take a whole lot of courage. Amen. I just wonder too, throughout, we see in, I'm saying Galatians, that Peter had some problems with things using did I have to wonder throughout this thing too. It was just odd. We had I had that just sure not we complied with the way of knowing, but I have to wonder if some of this he was thinking why he's preaching to people, oh I'm gonna get it for this. If not I was expecting Acts eleven. You, you know what I'm saying? Just expecting, uh, this is not gonna go well with the Jewish community. You know, this is kind of I think that's not part of the doubt as well, but uh, this is this isn't this isn't gonna turn out well. That might be. Uh, certainly you can imagine uh the kind of reaction they're going to have. <laughs> I wonder if he would have been tempted to say, wait a second, I've got to figure out what this vision means. <laughs> well, I think he's starting to put two and two together, actually. Uh, I think he's, he's, he's it's starting to, uh, starting to link up. Any, anything special about the fact there's three times he showed and the three men? Both threes. Thank you. <laughs> Profound. <laughs> That's me. Three is a very special number in the Bible. <laughs> I think it's interesting. Is it correct to conclude that the men who came from Cornelius traveled probably through the night to get there? By the time they arrived, given the distance they traveled? I'm not sure. Maybe so. I've, I've concluded that that was okay. You've studied that before. Right? You're saying because they would have left at about 3 p.m. And they got there at noon the next day. So. I thought about that, perhaps. So. Is it funny that Peter invited the men to the other guy's house? Like, I just thought that was kind of odd. Maybe Peter has a good relationship with some. Especially when I'm in Toronto, so I invite people over to Luis's house where I am to spend the night even. <laughs> people do it here all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I don't know how to stop that. <laughs> yeah. So maybe it's not so strange. Well, maybe it is strange. We, we do have new information about Cornelius in 22. Yes, that's a good point. What? That he is uh, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews. And it's interesting that these three men, who would have known him quite well, they say he's a righteous and God-fearing man. We knew that already, 
But that's not just the opinion of the narrator here in Acts. That's the opinion of the people under him, who often the people under you don't have that kind of opinion of you. <laughs> so that speaks well of him also, I think. I bet he's a humble fellow. Seems to be, from what we can tell. If he's caring enough, I mean, to give to the Jews, I mean, yeah. I know. That's amazing, isn't it? Other thoughts? Alright, the second half of 23 to 29. And on the next day he arose and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day he entered Caesarea, and Cornelius was waiting for them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when it came about that Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. And as he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. And so I asked, for what reason you have sent for me? All right. A pretty good-sized group journeys from Joppa back to Caesarea. You have one soldier, two servants, one Simon Peter, and six brethren who accompanied him. So there's a group of ten that are traveling there. And uh, they get there uh, on the, the following day. So the first day the angel appeared to Cornelius and he sent the messengers. The second day the messengers arrived in Joppa and spent the night. The third day Peter and everybody start out for Caesarea and the fourth day they get to uh, Cornelius' house. And Cornelius has already got a lot of people, an audience basically, ready and waiting. Friends and relatives and so forth. And when Peter comes in, what does Cornelius do? Worships him. Worships him. What does Peter do? he's been doing this whole passage, raising people up. You're right. Tells him to get up, because I'm a man also. Peter only proclaims salvation. He's not the one who gives it. So he wants them not to unduly honor him. Uh, It's interesting that some who claim to have succeeded Peter have not imitated him in this uh, area. Um... And uh, Peter tells about what's happened with him. He's had a sudden enlightenment. He has learned that you should not call any man unholy or unclean. So he really has seen, he's had insight into the purpose of the sheep vision. The point of this is, he ought to be willing to come into a Gentile land. You know, that wouldn't happen. You know, it's unlawful for a Jew to associate with a Gentile, stay in his home and so forth. That would have been uh, a a very uh, outrageous thing. But Peter has learned, no, don't call unholy or unclean what God has cleansed. He said, that's why I came with no objection. I'm here, what do you want? Comments or questions through 29? I don't know the answer to that. Not very long, because he left the next day, but... Wait, did God ever actually tell him not to call man and come or I mean, or did he just... No, he, he reasons through to okay. the application. Okay. 
Other questions and comments? So, Peter drew conclusions from the information he was given. Yes. Drew right conclusions. Yes, he did. And so it's appropriate for us to draw draw right conclusions also. Certainly, yes. The Bible doesn't say everything about every situation, so... God does not always connect the dots for us. Sometimes we're expected to uh, do that ourselves. Well, 30 to 33. Cornelius said, Four days ago to this hour I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments, and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Okay, so the questions ask, why have you sent for me? Cornelius tells about the vision with the angel and that he did what the angel told him and he says you've been kind enough to come and we're here to listen to everything God's commanded you I, I, now that's that's a the statement that he makes and what Cornelius has done I think is a great example you know Cornelius says in verse 33 we are all here present before God. He recognizes that we're in the presence of God. And he's called together, people he was close to, to listen also. And he says, we want to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. What a, what a, what a receptive, open heart to want to hear and know what God's will is. I think an excellent spirit on Cornelius' part all the way around. Uh, and and I mean this is the army captain wanting to listen to a wandering Jewish teacher you know that, that's wow a lot of humility I think in that with the reverence and respect and with calling everybody in even before he's met Peter you know to listen to whatever he's going to have to say comments and questions well, Centurion, I think, was over a hundred men. Uh, he was a part of the Italian regiment, but that didn't mean he was over the whole regiment. Um, how do you have a deal with this event, like with the position that Cornelius was in and, and the way that he was getting on to the Jews, you know, and that he was um, following in this way? I mean, would, would the rest of the Roman soldiers been like, I mean, look down on him, or I mean, like how you know? I mean, like I don't know. Not I don't, I know that situation. Yeah, not necessarily. Okay. I mean, they occupied that territory and they ruled over them, but I don't know that they necessarily viewed them as enemies or tried to, you know, not associate with them. Okay. But it was somewhat risky for him to do this, to associate closely with Jews and then later with Christians, I suppose. Perhaps I don't know. You think it was? I think so, just because the, 
what happens later with the Romans that if you have a centurion who's friendly with the Christians, that's not going to be considered. But the Christians were kind of an illegal group eventually. The Jews weren't. So, I don't know. I mean, some of the Jews, the Herod family and so forth, were in good with the Romans. Controversial question. Yeah. I was asked a question in my, and I'm not really sure how to answer it. But we see here that God listened to the prayers of poor days. He was not yet a Christian. So it brings up the question. I've heard people say this in different ways. One, people say, well, God only hears the prayers of Christians. For me, this passage just proves that. Um, other people say that He only hears the prayers of those who sincerely are seeking. Um, others say that he hears all prayers, just doesn't answer all prayers. What do you think about that? Well, perhaps we can use here in more than one sense. Sure. God's aware of everything that happens. Sure. God is not favorably disposed toward the prayers of people who are in rebellion against him and don't want to do what he says. First Peter 3 quotes from Proverbs in verse 12, For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So, the evildoer, God won't favorably respond to his prayers. The man who's seeking God, he will. Sure. I think it was more, they, well, from what the person was saying, they believed that he wouldn't even hear it. He would just completely, just wouldn't even let it. So they used some kind of revelation about how the prayers the saints are come up to, to his ears. Well, I mean, God knows everything, so I assume He knows what they're doing. But if a man's wicked, God's not going to favorably respond to his prayers. But someone like Saul, God tells Ananias he's praying. Someone like Cornelius, God is favorably disposed toward his prayers because it's because of his prayers that God sends the angel to allow him to find out how to be saved. And even on the mind of Samson, who lived a, a very wicked life, but at the end of his life, still prayed the Lord, and the Lord answered his prayer to give him the strength. So, you know, I don't know. Just thought of that. Um, to go along with this question, what, I mean, what do you think about, you know, in the passage, um, because this has come up in my uh, studies with people like crazy. Um, when John nine, um, and John nine, you know where he, where the blind man, you know, is healed. Um, and then, you know, verse thirty one, uh, John nine thirty one says, "Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshipper of God and does His will, He hears him." So I mean, what do you think about that? Because He says He's not hear sinners. And, I don't know this devout man, but if he wasn't a Jewish Christian, I mean. Well, I'd say two things. First of all, the blind man's not an authoritative source on anything. That's true. But what he says is true. It is true that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. That's certainly Cornelius. He's God-fearing and he's seeking to do his will. What sometimes people say is God doesn't hear the prayers of non-Christians, He only hears the prayers of Christians. That's not true. And in fact, there's a number of passages in the Old Testament where God says He does not hear the prayers 
of people who are rebelling against him in one sense or another. He's talking about the Jews. So the dividing line is not between Christian and non-Christian. The dividing line is between the man who's fearing God and seeking God and the man who's wicked and rebelling against God. Whether it's a Christian or not doesn't change anything. If I fall into sin and I turn away from God, God will quit being favorably disposed toward my prayers, even though I'm a Christian. So I think what the blind man says is actually true, but he's not the best source for that. There's other passages like 1 Peter 3.12 that essentially say the same thing. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different types of hearing as well. There's hearing, listening, as in paying attention, or trying to respond to, or hearing as in knowing what's going on. Yeah. Okay. Now, what do you think, though, about... I don't know what I exactly disagree with or agree with at this point. Um, And, but, I mean, even coming into this, I really didn't know exactly what... But, you know, what do you think about, though, you know... When we're baptized into Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, now we have Christ, and we're praying through Christ to the Father, though, right? So those who aren't Christians, they don't have that avenue, right? Or they they're not they can't pray through Jesus because they don't have Jesus. So how does our prayer get to the Father? Or, you know, the, of those who don't have Jesus. You, know, you see what I'm saying? Uh, well, first of all, our prayer does not go through Jesus, oh, but it, it is on the basis of Jesus' sacrifice that we have the relationship with God that we do, and are able to pray on that basis. But God does attend to the prayers, even of people who have not been cleansed by the blood of Christ, in situations like Cornelius and right. Saul. Okay. I, I don't know. I guess I've just always been told, or I've always, I mean, I'm very sure I've been told this, otherwise I don't know how to think this, but the, you know, when, um, when it says to ask, in, ask these things in my name, or, you know, Jesus says to do these things in my name, I always have been taught that it's because we're doing it in Jesus, like through Jesus. Here, you know what I mean? To pray through. So on the basis of what Jesus has done in reconciling us back to God, John 16, 26, and 27 essentially says, you don't have to ask me to ask God, you can ask God. John 16, 26, and 27. And the fact that Jesus is God, if we pray right. to God, so does it go through God to get to the other part of God? You know, it's kind of not really... We try to simplify it into a into a, yeah. a route like the mail carrier. Right. You know, our letter goes through the mailbox, and yeah. it's not exactly. It's more like on the basis of, or the authority of, or the power of Jesus that we pray through, okay. and not through. Here, Jesus. Here's the message. Take it to God and tell Him what I said. Because yeah. I know I've given a sermon. Just I mean, almost like like everything I just said. I know I've given a sermon on prayer like before that. Afterward, everyone's like, "Oh, good job!" You know, you know, whatever. Well, I was always, I was always taught that way, though. So yes. I mean, that's how. So now it's just now I got all these new ideas. Okay. So, so, all right. Well, we'll do. Uh, they're in the Bible, but yeah. So I'll. Uh, okay, thanks. So no problem. <laughs> all right. Well, our time's up here now, so uh, why don't we uh, mark it at verse uh, thirty-four? And my schedule's complicated. I won't be here next week because Boyd will be with us in the meeting. So I will be here. Everybody down there next week. (laughs) I'll come on down. Uh, So I'll be here two weeks from tonight, Lord willing. Then I won't be here Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve. So I'm 